Welcome back to another episode of Crossing Broadcast. I am your host, Kyle Pagan. Today, I am joined by Kevin Kincaid and Bob Wankel. Let's bring them on. No need for an introduction now. Bobby, you look good. Look like you just cut down some trees in your backyard. Kevin, looking good as always. That beard looks a little grayer than usual. You a little stressed out about the Phillies? No, the Flyers tonight, man. Big game. <clears throat> you know, Risto's out with a body injury. Body injury? Is it is it upper or lower? Uh, Torts doesn't want to tell us, man. He's just saying body. You know, it's like we couldn't get anything out of the, the uh, hockey medical people to begin with, and now we can't even get an upper or lower body out of them. You know, it's like if you took – you know how there's no central New Jersey? Imagine they just made it one state now. That's what we get from the Flyers injury report. Rasmus Ristolainen out with a body injury. Damn, damn. Body on my yeah. – Bob? All right. Well, you know, tough one last night. You know, Zach Weaver throws a freaking gem. Top two in the lineup can't can't produce. Top first baseman can't field for shit. Um, if you would have told me we would have split in Atlanta between two games, I would have been like, that's amazing. But then I got a taste of what it felt like in game one. And I was like, you know what? This Braves team reeks of loser energy. The beat writers reek of loser energy. The, uh, they're uh, firing off fireworks after every strikeout. Typical loser energy Braves. You slept on it. How are we feeling about the rest of the series starting with Friday? The rest of the series, uh, the rest of the series, I mean, listen, you know, big picture, Philly split down there. I think that anybody would have signed up for that. Uh, you you have home field advantage here now, final three games, two of them at Citizens Bank Park. There's going to be a lot of pent-up energy in that stadium on, on Friday afternoon especially. Uh, I expect the crowd to be loud and nasty and really bring it. They've been waiting a long time, almost a generation for this. So that part of it I think is great. I think that we'll get the, the scene that we want, but – you know, listen, you can't you can't look at what happened last night and say to yourself, like, oh, you know, it, this would have been gravy. Like, they had a chance to drop the hammer in this series, and they didn't do it. And it is now going to be infinitely more difficult to outlast the Braves moving forward. I mean, it was all set up for them. And, and in typical Phillies fashion, they, they win the one they probably shouldn't or aren't expected to, and then they don't come through when you kind of think things are tilted in their favor. That's true. What What is your – believability uh in in Aaron Nola stepping up uh two two straight games has pitched gems what we need how much do you think he'll be able to continue what's his home and road splits like well he's he's pitched fairly well at Citizens Bank Park I mean I think the biggest thing that you look at if you're you're trying to be optimistic about the Phillies right now is that you know whether or not you believe that Aaron Nola is a, an elite pitcher or you, you kind of are on the other side of it and don't think he's an elite pitcher you know, from a human standpoint, there is doubt. You know, you're, you're going to have doubt about yourself. And when things don't go well in big spots, you're going to doubt yourself. And the one thing that, that Aaron Nola, I think, has been able to do now in his last two starts, both in, in Houston and St. Louis, is sort of erase the doubt. Like, when Aaron Nola steps on the on the hill tomorrow afternoon, he picks up the ball. Like, he knows he's good, and he knows he can do it in these big spots. And he doesn't have to have any of that doubt creep into the back of his mind. Now, does that translate to success? We'll see. But, I mean, he has certainly earned the right for, for fans to feel confident in what he's going to do tomorrow. Is he Mr. October? Is like that guy from Chickies and Pete said? He might be Mr. October. You know, the whole key to the thing, though, is, you know, he could be Mr. October. Can anybody on this team hit? So what would you do with the lineup? Yeah, so it's a really interesting question. Everyone knows the numbers, right? Schwarber, Hoskins, they've both been really bad. I believe Reese Hoskins is 1 for 18 uh, this postseason. Kyle Schwarber is 0 for 16. So you're getting your best hitters up, guys that have swung the bats pretty well in the middle of the lineup, and there's just nobody on base setting the table for them. 
So do you make a move? And on paper, it makes a lot of sense to make a move. You have two guys struggling back-to-back at the top of the lineup. They're not going to. I would be stunned if they did. The bottom line here is that Rob Thompson has been a guy that that really trusts the players. He's a stay-the-course guy. And that steady hand, I think, has benefited this team from a larger, you know, from a larger picture. And I think if he goes and varies from that now, what message does that send? Um, and so I think he's much, much more inclined to sort of ride the hand, ride the horse that, that got him to this point. So you were uh, killing Reese on Twitter. Tim, who never writes any stories, he killed Reese. He came out of hibernation to kill Reese on the site. Anthony took the contrarian, not really the contrarian, but like the uh, other side of it. Hey, other, you know, Schwarber hasn't hit for shit and, you know, kind of had that angle of it. Uh, what's the running tally here? I mean, I think there was more anti-Reese than uh, I think most most uh, people in the uh, Crossing Broad ecosystem were anti-Reese after that. But uh, I don't know, man. I'm, I haven't played baseball in 30-some years, but I don't know why he's trying to backhand that, man. Just get in front of it and knock it down, right? I mean, that's the, you, you were the uh, South Jersey baseball coach of the year. Is that what you teach your guys at Triton? Well, you want to, as Rob Thompson said after the game, you you want to center the ball, right? Like, so there's so many different things. I mean, Reese Hoskins is really interesting from the way that fans view the game, the way that fans feel about him. But then you just look at last night, and I mean, let's, let's just focus on what's really important. And what's really important is what happened last night. You know, we know he's not hitting. Uh, and you deal with the, the suspect defense because you expect at, at times for him to be able to carry you offensively. And we all know about the streakiness. You, you know, I think errors are going to happen. Things are going to happen. But I think what really agitated me in that moment, you know, watching that play out was the technique. It was, you know, the ball was hit hard. Uh, Everyone talks about the 101 exit velo, and and that's all fine and well. But, I mean, it's a ball that if he takes another step and puts his body between it, you know, if he kicks it, if he knocks it down, you know, you don't have to pick it cleanly, but you've got to sell out in a spot like that. And, And it was sort of like a finesse play by him. And so it was really his approach and technique that, that bothered me in that spot. And then, you know, to not hit on top of it like he has, not only just this postseason, but really the week or so leading up to the playoffs, it, it's just been really weird to watch. Like, this is a guy that, that I think had an opportunity this postseason, still does, sort of assert himself as a, as a really good player. And, and like Aaron Nola, sort of like kill some of the storylines hovering over him. And, and he has not taken advantage of the opportunity. And he, he killed that team last night. You can talk about not scoring runs. And sorry, I know this is long-winded. But you can talk about not scoring runs all you want. Like, oh, they didn't hit. I'm sorry. Did you guys happen to see the, the baseball game on Saturday with Tampa Bay and, and Cleveland? Nobody scored for 14 innings. Like, if, if you make that play, maybe it's nothing, nothing going into the 8th, ninth, 10th, and you win the fucking game. Yeah, Wheeler was absolutely rolling. So the way I'm kind of getting that answer from you you're not believing that Jason Martinez is right when he says, hey, guys, just settle down. Uh, Reese Hoskins might have his playoff moment. Yeah, I mean, like, nobody wants to read that in that <laughs> moment, right? Like, they're they're losing a game that they, they could potentially win. It's the postseason. Like, yeah, the Phillies weren't going to go 13-0 this postseason. But, like, in that moment, absolutely nobody wants to see somebody from Fox 29 say, don't worry, he'll be fine. That being said, in his defense – he may be fine. Like maybe Reese Hoskins comes home tomorrow. I expect the fans to to cheer for him. This like notion that they should boo him is is ridiculous. I I don't I don't know, Bob. I, don't I, think- I, I no, I don't think I don't think you should boo him. But 
I don't think it's going to yeah, be I mean, a warm welcome. There's going to be some some section of fans out there that might have like a, a smattering of booze, but come on, man! Like forty thousand plus tomorrow, amped up for postseason baseball. You're gonna they're gonna boom when he gets in the box. I just don't. No, he gets in the box. Do but do they do they do um, player intros? Well, yeah, they do them at the start of the series. Yeah, I don't. So I can know see a player if, intro. I don't know if they are going to do it now that it's shifted home or not. Uh, I'm actually yeah. not entirely sure how that works. Uh, it's been a while. Um, so, yeah, I mean, maybe during the player intros, there's like a boo or two. But I think that this fan base, like generally speaking, has been supportive of him. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, maybe he gets in the box tomorrow and he has three hits and he helps the team win the game. I mean, and then everyone just moves on. Like, I think that we're all really quick to like definitively bury a player or prop him up when things are going well. For me, it's like not that he's a bad player or that he can't be a winning player. But like to this point, he just hasn't been. So you know, I think that there's a fine line between saying like, this is what it is. And, and this is what he absolutely will be moving forward. I, I think because he's one of the constants that has, has been on this losing team, him, Nola Eflin uh, have, have been the longest tenured players on this team. I think right off the top of my head, I could be missing somebody. And I think that's what people are. People can deal with the streakiness in the regular season being like, Oh my God, that June that Reese had was awesome. Shit. That, you know, July that he had, wasn't that so great when, you know, you don't feel like you lose out on the division, but man, when, when games are on the line and August, he had a tough August and September or uh, September, excuse me. He had a tough last couple weeks of September. He, he's had the tough postseason. I think people are kind of just like, look at, you know, Matt Olson, look at Freddie Freeman, look at Rizzo, look at uh, uh, the guy, Ty France from, from the Mariners. Like, could you imagine putting those guys in at first? And I feel like now it's just like, you're getting a black hole in, in your second spot. And I think that's like an insult to black holes right now, because when he, he's his most memorable moment from this playoffs is striking out twice in one inning during the, uh, the six run ninth. Yeah. I mean, listen, he's, he has not really contributed in, in a meaningful fashion to this point. Um, is this his last year? I mean, I mean, he's under contract. I mean, he has another year of arbitration. Yeah. So he's looked to move on from him. I, I don't know. I mean, like, I think you, if you're going to do that, you have to have a, an answer. You know, you can't just say, like, we're going to get rid of a guy with an OPS over 800, mid 800s. 30 homers. But, yeah. but at the same time, I think that that's part of the, the thing when you look at him as a player. Like, you see the numbers and you're like, all right, like, <laughs> you know, they work. But I think that you just want a more steady presence. And I'm sorry, like, I know a lot of people, like, look at the end, the end result and say, like, you know, those, those three weeks where he gets hot, like they happen, you have to account for them and you do, but I just don't think that you can have such erratic performance and then paired with just below average defense. I think it was Jason Stark last night who tweeted out that you like, look at like uh, outs above average, like in terms of defense and, and he's dead last in the national league among amongst first basemen. So, you know, this, this subpar defensive play paired with just the, you never know what you're getting from him. It's tough. Now, that being said, like he is, he possesses the ability to win a game for them, you know, over the next uh, couple of days here. And maybe he does. I, you know, we'll see. What do you think of LeBron or Acuna Jr.? <laughs> yeah, there was, there's probably, I mean, listen, you get 96 off the forearm. Like you're, you're going to take a moment, right? I, I hear you. I do. I saw what you wrote. I, I agree with you. I thought that that was uh, played up a little bit and a little bit, maybe designed to try to throw Zach Wheeler off his rhythm. And then, I remember uh, they had was it was it Nicholas the guy who they came, no that was the guy from uh, whoever they had Minter they had Minter come in for the relief appearance he pitches an inning comes out in relief again a little bit of gamesmanship from the Braves comes out does a couple warm up pitches because the next guy in the bullpen wasn't warmed up already so he does a couple warm up pitches lets the guy in the bullpen come out Snitker gets him takes him out and they bring in the relief pitcher 
how does that work in Rob Manfred's America right now? Some annoying like, shit, man. I mean, that's ridiculous. Yeah. Well, Kevin, how do you feel about all, all the gamesmanship? Like you saw the other night. I don't know if you watched any of the, the Mets Padres game three, but yeah. They yeah. had the, all the uh, Padres calling time on Bassett to try to kind of disrupt him a little bit. And, yeah, you know, and then you had the Buck Show Walter thing with the, uh, you know, the whatever ear. they were looking for on the ear. And that was funny because Gary Cohen came out, the Mets radio announcer, and he was like doing a live post game outside of the stadium. And the fans were booing him because he was saying that what Buck Show Walter was doing was bullshit, you know. But like, I think most people are probably in agreement of like anything you can do to give yourself an advantage, you try to do it within the you know, within the framework of the game. Look, man, I'm like, I'm a soccer guy. You know how many dudes I've seen rolling around on the ground like they were shot. So I'm not going to sit here and act like in any oh, other the, sport people the, are doing this. Like, when a soccer team is up and it's like the last five minutes, it's injury yeah. time. That is the most egregious yeah, uh, display yeah, of soccer I've kill, ever seen. Trying to kill clock and do all this. <laughs> I mean, that's that's a product, too, of the clock going in the opposite direction. But like I, the Braves just like do some annoying shit. You know, Arcia taking that that. um that ball in game one where it was like, <laughs> like what the fuck are you doing? And then like, you have the lady, like uh, you got the tomahawk chop. You can say whatever you want to say about that. You got Contreras using narco as well. Bob, who was first with narco Diaz or Contreras? I believe Diaz has been using it longer, but okay. Uh, so Contreras is a rookie, right? A, Contreras is a poser, right? So it's like, you got that. You got the lady looking like Nancy Pelosi last night with the aggressive <laughs> the clapping. Like, what the? I'm like, I just something about the Braves, man. It's just really annoying. I, and and uh, Minter, whatever his name was, with this annoying shit on the mound. I don't know. They're just like a, like they they're one of those teams who's like I, I probably shouldn't hate the Braves. Like they're a really good team. But they got some annoying dudes. They really do. Did you see the? Did you see the fan throw the? soda or the beer on the Phillies fan for for cheering in the 400 level now we obviously yeah. don't know what happened yeah. you know previous to that when not but that seemed like it was like out of nowhere yeah, I mean, but I know you know what it is man here's here's the thing and this is about there she is there's yeah. <laughs> there's Pelosi. Yeah, Pelosi she's not gonna be able to get through a whole series clapping like that all right her brain stem is gonna fall off gonna relax break. Somebody was like, well, she may have a problem, you know, well, it's very, presum very presumptive of you to think that she automatically has the problem. Like maybe just the simplest explanation here is just she's fucking annoying, you know, so let's let's just go with that. And then if it turns out she has like an issue, I will apologize later. But um, No, it's just to the point that I was I think I was making. I don't know. Bob, I guess, was on last week or something, but. Again, every single moment of the Major League Baseball playoffs is amplified because people are paying attention. And it's like, you know, there's 162 games of this interesting stuff every year that we could carve out into blog posts that would probably do pretty well. But just it's oversaturated. It gets diluted over 162. We're hanging on every single yeah. crowd shot that we have here with Pelosi and, you know, these like doofuses and the gamesmanship. But it, it just it just helps my point, I think, about how much more playoff baseball is interesting because everything matters, mm -hmm. you know, like you're hanging yeah, on really every, cool. every, every pitch and you're hanging on. I mean, like, and it just goes to show like in, in a, you know, in a regular season game like that, Reese Hoskins missing that play, whatever, you know, but I mean, the stakes are so high and the leverage is so high in these situations because you're only in a five game series to begin with, you know, but to spin that and take it the other direction, anybody, any Phillies fan, would have been immensely happy with taking a split down there nice. and bringing it back, you know? So I can't, I can't, you know, we can talk about all like legitimate problems and stuff, but this, this series is coming back to CBP for, for two games at least, you know, Bob, how do you feel about the hottest ticket in town on the same week that Dallas is coming to town on Sunday night football is the Phillies. That's crazy. So two months ago, we were talking about them not being able to fill a stadium. 
it's it's kind of funny like you look you look at the the way that the fan base supports the Eagles and they're all in all the time all year round and we've spent so much time this year talking about you know what's up with the crowd at Citizens Bank they're they're making a run they're they're they've been really good with Rob Thompson why aren't that many people going and I mean this team left Citizens Bank Park on September 25th and have been gone basically for for what two and a half three weeks now. Yeah. And they're coming back, and it's just going to be a total, totally different situation. I mean, they're going to walk onto the field on Friday during pregame warmups, like, you know, before the game, and be like, holy shit, where am I? I mean, like I tweeted out the other night, it's going to feel like to them they're going to be on a different planet, you know, on Friday. <laughs> they're going to see something that they've never seen before. And that's awesome. I mean, Phillies fans, like, there are so many Phillies fans that have been living and dying with this team for the last 11 years. It's been upsetting. You know, there's probably been some apathy mixed into just frustration. But there are a lot of people that have been really like hardcore followers of this team since, uh, I don't know, October 4th. You know, it's it's been a hell of a nine days for a lot of Phillies fans out there really riding this thing. So, <laughs> it really is. <laughs> that's why you're going to have $250, you know, SRO tickets tomorrow. Um, and that's awesome. I mean, that's fine. It's like, that's not a knock. But, I mean, this fan base, like, they, they front run a little bit when it comes to the Phillies. I mean, it's just what oh, it is. Fuck yeah, I mean, like, I mean, like, I don't expect, I don't expect in the middle of July, and this will be the part that gets cut off from the sound clip that you put on Twitter in like two yes, hours. Yes, it will. But like, I mean, in the middle of July, I don't expect people to be like dialed into Phillies Marlins, you know, like, that's okay. Like, it's okay that people are now engaged in it. And like, this is part of the reason why, you know, just as a, as a, a baseball observer, baseball fan, I wanted the Phillies to make the playoffs so we could do all these memes and have people go crazy on Twitter and be on Fox news, you know, down at Chickies and Pete's talking about like, Oh, this is my dude. Like this, <laughs> this is stuff. That's great, man. Like yeah. this is what makes this shit fun. So, I mean, cool. Oh, Here's the characters the you get. Great. Let me, let me raise a point here from who is this? Ross, Russ, uh, Russ joy. Um, <laughs> Doesn't the hype around this Phillies playoff series show that there's real juice for the team, especially since Dallas week has been totally overshadowed? Here's the thing, though. Uh, yes and no. The D- Dallas week hasn't meant much for a while now. You know, the juice for Eagles Cowboys ran out. I, you know, I feel like I wrote the same column four years in a row and nobody gave a shit because like a younger generation doesn't really care, but doesn't really hate the Cowboys the way that somebody who watched Aikman and Michael Irvin and, moose whatever his name is you know and emmett smith right it's just not they don't they don't look at it the same way so the circumstances here and one team being four and one another team being five and oh i mean the phillies have just totally eclipsed that it's it's proof to me that this is and always was a baseball town well how are the numbers on cb are you seeing a lot of influx of people reading a lot of philly shit oh insane insane yeah i like i logged on i guess yesterday morning or something like that it was like eight something am or whatever it's like 900 people reading the site um, yeah and like i know people don't really have context for that but like oftentimes we're sitting around like 200 300 or something but all of the stuff when you do after a game and you're firing up like three or four of those posts man that shit just skyrockets man people click on that more than anything and like i i people maybe people don't remember but crossing broad was like a phillies blog originally when the maestro started it um you know, so, so so it's it's I don't think those people ever went away. I just I I guess there wasn't really anything to cheer for over the last last ten years, you know. So to strengthen your your Cowboys point a little bit, I went back and looked at the three three seasons because I was like, what is the last 
Cowboys game, Eagles game that I actually got up for. 2021, week three, they're one and one on Monday Night Football. They get absolutely blown out, but we're still worrying about this team. You know, who yeah. are they and everything. Week 18 obviously doesn't matter. Uh, both teams went, or we went to the playoffs. So we're resting everybody. 2020, week eight, everyone remembers the 2020 season. Uh, by the time they played them in week eight, they were two, four, and one. They beat Ben DiNucci. So we weren't even playing Dak Prescott then. Week 16, they're four, nine, and one going into the game. Jalen Hurts is starting. Carson Wentz, all that whole tobacco and stuff. 2019, week seven, Eagles, Cowboys, both are three and three. The last game that people actually got up for was that week 16 game when they beat the Cowboys and then they ended up winning the division. So three seasons. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it's like a big Cowboys game. Yeah, you know, it's funny too because, you know, the the Cowboys haven't haven't won jack shit in a long time, right? So if you're in your twenties or whatever, say you're like a nineteen year old kid or something like that, I, you don't you don't really remember when the Cowboys were good, you know, but you remember when Eli won a couple of Super Bowls with the Giants, you know, and that them being more of like the the main division rival or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I don't think that juice is there just because the people were growing up in an era where the Cowboys were just kind of dog shit. You know, I mean, like what was the best thing that they had that they weren't winning playoff games? You had Tony Romo for a long time, Jason Garrett. It was just kind of whatever. I mean, it wasn't really a team to to hate. They never felt like a threat. You know what I think it is? It's it people here, like the younger generations hate Dallas because they've been programmed to hate Dallas. <laughs> But I don't think that they feel that like that true hatred in their heart. Like they haven't yeah. had the experience yet to to reach that level of, of hatred. And like yeah. if you are in your mid thirties, you know, watching, you know, extend it out a little bit further than what. Oh no, we just Uh-oh. lost Bob completely. We lost Dave too. Oh, I feel like Dave. that was. Oh. I feel like that was going to be a wonderful point that Bob made oh, too. No. Did we, think, we're still going live though. Uh-oh. Uh, here he is. Yeah. Let's bring that him in. Yeah, it wasn't even like a, wow, what that was weird. You didn't, even, you didn't uh, even like freeze or anything. You just completely disappeared. Yeah, no, it just kicked me right off. But what I was saying was like you go back to the early 90s, mid 90s, like you you hated those teams because you saw the success. Like the, the fourth and one game, like when you beat that team in that day, like you felt that that hatred, that relief, like that that release in that moment. The Eagles, the Eagles Cowboys rivalry has not like really you know lend itself to that type of of you know ferocity when you watch these games can i can i make a point here too i think like my opinion changed a little bit about about the dallas philly thing when i went to texas for the first time and like actually met like real cowboys fans from down there and they happened to be like the nicest people on the planet yeah. <laughs> and like the most educated football people ever no joke me and my dad went down to austin in 2018 it was for a college game, but we met, we were sitting around a lot of Cowboys fans. We were talking to a lot of like Cowboys fans, like people who like grew up in Texas and lived in Texas their entire life. And they knew everything about the sport. They were super nice, like share your tailgate food and beers with you or whatever. Super cool. Like shaking your hand after the game, be like good game. I'm like what the, where, where am I? You know, but it just furthered the proof. And, and at the same time, it furthered the, the idea that the Cowboys fans in this area are all, cockroaches and they're all posers and 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 that's where the bad rap america's team crap comes from because all the people who are down there um i mean in my experience i mean they were great they were freaking awesome i i think jason kelsey had a great quote today on uh wip and this kind of goes to the faction of 
Dallas Cowboys fans where it's like Eagles fans are Eagles fans because they grew up. They're two. Here's the quote. They're two polar opposites. Philly's an extremely localized, diehard fan base that's authentic to all them growing up together in this community. Most of the Cowboys fan base is built on commercialism and pop culture. America's team, obviously, Laker, Yankee type fans, which is 100 yeah. percent correct. When, when you when you are overseas and you see people who are from overseas who immigrated to uh, the U.S., you know, they're always rocking the Yankees NY or they're always rocking the Cowboys star or um yeah. You know, it's like it's like Notre Dame in the Northeast for for Philadelphia. Like nobody yeah, has any yeah. family that ever went to Notre Dame. But fuck it. Do they have a Notre Dame calf tattoo because they're Irish Catholic and they went to St. Patrick's every Sunday? And I've written about that, too, in the past. Like, why don't why do the Notre Dame fans here not get the same shit as the Cowboys fans? Because really, it's the same thing. You know, what I mean, like my, and my grandfather was a Notre Dame fan only because he was a Catholic. And I'm like, or he's like an Irish Catholic. I'm like. Well, they don't get it here because people are apathetic to college football in the Northeast. I mean, especially in this era. And I love and Kevin, I know you're a big college football guy. I love college football. Yeah. You know, so I, I feel that. But I don't think that this, I mean, regionally, this just isn't, a, you know, something that's going to get people. No, work. no but it's the same. It's, it's, it is. The, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. But like if you compare the two things, like, yeah, it's the same thing that we complain about Cowboys since they're not from there. They didn't go to, to school there. They have no connection there. It was really just like, I think a big part of it, too, that people forget is like the, just these teams were on television. Not everything was on television. You couldn't watch everything, you know. Yeah, but now that everything's on television, it, no, it doesn't matter. Was on TV, the Steelers were on TV. The Cowboys were. The, the Steelers probably back in the day had just as many poser fans as the Cowboys did. Nobody ever talks about that either, you know. I think the other thing though, too, when you look at it, like the Cowboys and being a Cowboys fan, it's like a threat to the community. It's like a threat to you know, we're from Philadelphia, like. This is what my family, this is what my friends care about, and you're against us. When you look at something like Notre Dame, you don't feel like, oh, you're you're against us. You're just like you're a poser, you know? Like, yeah, that's have true. Like, like threatening, you know, rivalry type of feel to it. There weren't people who were saying like, well, I can't believe you're supporting Notre Dame instead of no offense, Pagan, but instead of the Temple Owls, the local Temple Owls, you know, there was no. I mean, and 2015 would would say differently. Well, and a lot of those like Notre Dame fans also kind of had a, like Penn State as the second team. Too, you know so it was kind of i don't know that that dynamic yeah it's interesting that's a good point bob i never really thought of it that way it's like who is the threat who's the college football threat uh do, do you also think there just hasn't been classic games in the last like 10 years uh i'm thinking like jeff garcia on christmas i'm thinking pickle juice game i'm thinking uh 44 to 10 or 44 to 3 whatever it was for the division yeah like, and the season when it shit didn't matter yeah. a lot of them have been blowouts i think 37 yeah. to 10 uh last year didn't matter like i'm trying to think of the last classic Cowboys game and I and off the top of my head I can't think in the last couple of years Donovan and Dahani Jones playing the air guitar down there yeah. in the playoffs yeah, classic you know? but not but yeah. not for us well, I, I guess probably the 2013 game right the end of the season week 17 Brandon Boykin the interception that's probably the probably, last yeah. classic there was the walk-off Jordan Matthews touchdown right that was uh what, yeah. 2014 Brandon Boykin man yeah holy shit forgot about I mean there were some good ones that like you know about 10 years nine ten years ago but it's it's been a while since you know I know yeah. the end of 2019 was basically a, a division championship game but uh, few and far between didn't have yeah. the Juice. Yeah, it was the NFC beast. One more before uh, we get Bob off here. Uh, this is from Philly fan. I know Kev pulled it up earlier, but spin zone. If we lose to Cooper Rush and Dallas loses the first game, Dak is back. The QB controversy match is lit and watch the Cowboys burn. I 100% agree with this. Jerry Jones is already trying to do a QB controversy two weeks ago. Troy Aikman came out today and was like, hey, listen, they got to seriously consider bringing Dak back if Cooper Rush can win on Sunday Night Football. So, hey, listen, we lose. It's going to suck. Still tied in the division. Will they have the... Uh, they have the uh, the tiebreaker right now, but hell, a QB controversy when you paid a guy 160 million and you got Cooper Rush from Central Michigan would be absolutely amazing. Would be to- such a cowboy storyline. 
a win-win situation. If you want to, all right, Bob. Prediction for Game Three. You're you're a big J. I don't know. You allowed to do that? I thought you were going to have me pick the Eagles, but I'll be honest with you. I I think. uh, I think that. I think the Phillies are going to go back to Atlanta. Um, I don't know if it's in Game Three or Four, but I think this thing's going five, and I don't. I don't think it's going to end well. So who starts four and Game Five happens? Uh, does does uh, does Wheeler get the bump? I don't know if they go. All, I don't know if they go all hands on deck there or not. I would imagine that they would have to be thinking that. I mean, after what you saw from Ranger Suarez in Game One, so yeah. I, I'm just telling you, like my prediction, I, I got Braves in five, but could be wrong. Been wrong many times before. Do Ranger Suarez Game One? I, I thought I was going to have an ulcer. Like that was <laughs> so nerve wracking. You put it out that Brad Hand curveball. I've never yelled for a Phillies game like that in my life. Yeah. Thank God One for game. Brad Hand. One game. All right, Bob. All right, guys. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, brother. All right. We want to do something a little differently. Um, This is a new segment called Make Tape Great Again. So we're going to bring on Shane Half. He's a tape dog. If you don't know what a tape dog is, it's a guy who just crunches tape. Is that what we're calling it? Make make tape great again? Yeah, make tape great again. The, 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 The point of the segment is to make tape exciting. And okay. it's so. This is Shane. Everybody, say hi to Shane. Uh, he's from Bleeding Green Nation and the Painted Lines. So follow him at half and uh, at half and half underscore TPL. I do love the wordplay, Shane. Uh, typically, I'm an oat milk guy, but I always do respect some half and half in the coffee. Um, so for this segment, we're trying to make tape great again. Tape's boring. We're trying to make it less boring. Shane's gonna have a couple clips from last week's Eagles game. He's gonna have a couple clips from Eagles games prior. Then a couple clips from the next Eagles opponent, which in this case will be the Dallas Cowboys, to show you what looks the Eagles might be facing on a Sunday. So when you're sitting there and Collinsworth is like, look at this protection, you're like, I can thank Shane for that because I already saw that on Thursday. And then you can also thank us. So one more thing before we get into Shane's clips. I know the majority of our listeners are on the podcast, so we got to do a little bit of an exercise right now. we got to visualize a little bit. So close your eyes. See the chalk with the white lines. See the Eagles end zones. They're painted with that new word mark you probably hate. The guy behind you just called Cooper Rush a pussy. You got a black Brian Dawkins jersey on, a $16 beer, a $20 crab fries in the right hand, and you're looking for an Eagles win. So, Shane, after that, open back up your eyes, people. Let's visualize. Break it down, Shane. Was I supposed to close my eyes too? No, no, no. You're okay. okay you're okay. okay. Also, I appreciate you coming on after your Sooners just got absolutely walloped, forty-nine nothing against Texas. Sorry, I had to get that in there. Yeah, yeah. We don't talk about that. So, <laughs> uh, speaking of Oklahoma, though, in the last segment you guys just had, I don't know if this is a bad time or place to admit I've never even been to the state of Pennsylvania, but I'm an Eagles fan. That's uh, hey, that's all that's, right. I mean. It's better than living in Northeast Philadelphia and just head to toe Emmett Smith Cowboys gear. That's fine yeah. by me. Yeah, I grew. I I didn't grow up an Eagles fan. I grew up and I liked the 49ers. and so I grew to hate the Cowboys because they were the only team on TV. So I sense. didn't get to watch the 49ers. I grew to hate the Cowboys, and yeah. that eventually became Eagles fandom. So. Well, real real quick story here before we get into it. I'm a West Virginia guy, so I went out to West Virginia, Oklahoma a couple years ago. You guys stomped a mud hole in our, our ass, but I got to see the Sooner schooner fall over. I was at um, that game. Yeah, yeah. That was, that <laughs> I was never knew you were at that game, Kev. 
Yeah, not good handling on the uh, the sooner wagon. They tried to take a turn too tight, and it fell over. Maybe maybe while you guys are doing more important film breaks, that I can find a clip of the wagon falling over. That was like the highlight for me because I think we always scored fourteen points, and Jalen Hurts uh, put up like fifty five on us. But anyway, I I digress. Yeah, yeah. There's definitely video of that floating around. The funny thing is, like the drive before that, the thing went up on one wheel. And I guess they didn't slow it down a little bit. So you don't learn from your mistakes. Yeah. Uh, maybe they should have watched the film on that schooner. Yeah, they didn't. They didn't heed the uh, heed the warning. You know, probably would not have passed in, inspection here in Pennsylvania. But that's that's neither here nor there. So, but anyway, I'm sorry. Yeah. So let's dive into it. Um, this first clip goes back a couple weeks to the Jaguars game. Uh, one of the things that the Cowboys like to do is they like to run single high safety looks, and so. Uh, we see from the Jaguars here, they've got the single high safety. This is going to be a cover three zone play. And so this corner at the bottom of the field, this corner at the top of the field, they're both dropping into deep third zones. And so one of the ways that the Eagles decide to attack this uh, is they go into what's called a nub set. That means we've got two tight ends on the same side of the field here. And they're both going to run vertical routes. So we've got you know, our outside tight end. He's just going to run like a little wheel route and Goddard's going straight up the seam. Behind that we have our running back is just gonna sort of run an angle route. And so what you see when the ball gets snapped is, is this corner at the bottom of the field, number two, he has to respect that sideline route. And so he's gotta get wide with that. And that just opens up the seam route. The seam ball is gonna be wide open on this play. And so we roll the tape, you see he's gotta gain, he's gotta gain depth, gain width, and Goddard just comes wide open over the middle of the field and Hertz hits that throw. It's an easy pitch and catch up the seam against cover three. Now we go into the next game. This is against the Cardinals, and you'll notice it's this same single high safety look. Now that doesn't always indicate that it's going to be cover three, but in this case, it is cover three again. So we've got our guys bailing into zones. It's this same nub look that I just pointed out. We've got two tight ends on the same side of the field. This time we've got a third tight end on the other side, that back side of the play. It just doesn't matter. It's going to be the same concept. We get that wheel, the straight seam route from Goddard, and we get the running back sort of coming out on an angle, flat sort of route. I'm honestly not sure what he's doing. It looks like a cross between the two. But the Cardinals are pressed up, everything against the line of scrimmage to stop the run and to stop the screen game. And so when you roll the tape again, it's the exact same play, exact same look. Look who's wide open. It's Dallas Goddard again, running free up the seam, and Hurts hits him for a big game. So would they always call this in like that kind of front they see, or would they would they audible out of that if they have to? Uh, is that kind of like a, a a play call, or is Jalen like kind of at will? Have you seen that ever? I mean, I think so. When they come out, I, I think the Eagles should be running more twelve personnel than they are. They're really good out of it. That's two tight ends on the field. Um, if if the Cardinals don't go a single high safety here, if they keep two safeties back then you just run the ball. You're at, a, you're at a plus in the box. And so one of the reasons that teams will go with the single high safety is if you look at the box count, you know, the Eagles have five offensive linemen. They've got three tight ends on the line of scrimmage. So they've got eight guys here that are blockers. And so the Cardinals have to counter that. They've got to put nine guys up here in the box. And the reason they have to do that is because Hertz can also keep the ball. He's not a negative number. And so you have to be plus one in the box or they can run the ball. And so if you remove this guy, say you put him back here, well, all of a sudden it's a neutral box count and the Eagles will like that to run. And so that's one of the reasons, and we'll actually talk about that a little more when we get to the Cowboys offense, 
that teams are doing the same thing against the Cowboys. They're loading the box up, uh, and the Cowboys are trying to take advantage of that with Cooper Rush to, uh, to, to mixed results. Let me just jump in here real quick with some context. So as far as 12 personnel goes, the Eagles, uh, this is sport radar data I'm looking at here. The Eagles run 12 personnel 20.5% of the time. They're about middle of the pack in the NFL. They run the 14th most uh, 12 personnel in the NFL. However, if you go to thir- uh, 13 personnel, three tight ends, they're actually fifth. It's not a lot. Mm-hmm. It's 8.7%. But they, they do – I thought their 12 personnel numbers would be higher, but they're actually – they run a lot more eleven this year, I guess, because they finally have like three good receivers that are that are worth putting out there, you know. Right, absolutely, and I don't think you want to overload it necessarily, but they have been really good throwing the ball out of twelve personnel, and a lot of it is because they can condense these tight ends on the same side of the field. Well, which side is the safety naturally going to cheat to? He's going to cheat to the side of the field that has AJ Brown and or Devonta Smith. And so you're really isolating one guy against two vertical routes, and he's got to try to split those. And, you know, obviously the Eagles are going to love that throw to Goddard up the seam when they can get it. That was a beautiful throw from Hurts last uh, last week and obviously the week before. But uh, that one where it just got over that linebacker's hands. Whew. Yeah, yeah. He, he's had some really good throws this year into tight windows, which isn't something that we've seen from him uh, in 2021. So it's been a big step in his progression. Are you a Jalen Hurts guy? I got to know before I watch more film. <sighs> He is, I, he's turning me into one. Uh, I, I was not a big Jalen Hurts NFL prospect guy going back to the draft. And he's continually gotten better year over year. If you asked me going into this year, if I thought he would be the starter in 2023, I would have put it at like a 35-ish percent chance. He's taken a huge leap this year. There's still some chinks in the armor with how they're running their offense. It's a real college-style offense, but uh, so far no one's been able to stop it. I think there will come a point in the mid to late season when defenses start to figure it out. And I'm really interested to see how the offense adjusts at that point. But I, I thought he's, I think he's played really well. I did think the Cardinals game was his worst game of the year. Mm-hmm. I, I still thought he played fine though. I would agree. I'm in the same boat with you. I wasn't a big Jalen guy, but now I am. We can go to the next clip. Okay. So next clip, the last one I'll show here from the Eagles offense. This goes all the way back to week one. And again, this is single high safety something the Cowboys like to run a lot. This time it's going to be cover one man, uh, but it's going to show a late safety rotation, which is something else the Cowboys like to do. So this safety is going to come down, and he's actually in man coverage on Dallas Goddard. And this guy right here, he's aligned kind of in the slot. Looks like he could be blitzing. He's rotating back. He is going to be the middle of field safety. Other than that, it's man coverage straight across the board. And so uh, the Eagles just run vertical routes. So would you call this a disguised look, obviously, since that guy's in man on Dallas Goddard and the other guy's going to fill for him? Yeah, yeah. It, it looks like it's cover one man pre-snap, and it is, but they're rotating the safety to try to muddy the picture, which is something the Cowboys like to do. They'll they'll show a single high, they'll spin to cover two, or they'll show two high, and they'll spin into cover one or three, and that's something they like to do. You want to force the quarterback to reevaluate what he's seeing post-snap. And so that's what the Lions are trying to do here. Uh, unfortunately for the Lions... All Jalen Hurts sees is, I've got man coverage, I've got one high safety, I've got A.J. Brown out wide, and Jeffrey Akuda, their number one corner, is down here at the bottom of the screen on Devonta Smith. I'm going to take A.J. Brown versus a CB2 every time. And the snap of the ball, that's all you see. He just hits the top of his drop. The ball's out. In football, we say single high, let it fly. It, if there's a single high safety... We're throwing the, and of course AJ Brown drags a grown man like ten yards there, but that was a grown man play. Yeah, grown man play, but single high safety like we talked about 
it puts plus one in the box. This is a advantage passing offense. So you see that you throw the ball and the Eagles have two good wide receivers. Most teams don't have a corner that can cover both of those guys. And that's what Hertz does here. He just picks his matchup. The Eagles are going to have some good matchups. Trevon Diggs, he, he makes big plays. He gives up big plays, but corner two against either AJ Brown or Devonta Smith, that's a win in my book. And so that's something else. Another way you can attack those single high looks is just put it downfield. All right. Uh, any questions on that on the Eagles side before we move on to the Cowboys side? Anything else that you guys want to talk about there? No, I just I, I sorry I got distracted there for a moment because Mo Dog was asking, do they run more out of uh, twelve or eleven personnel? I think I can filter that in the data I have, so I'm gonna I'll keep looking for that if you guys want to keep doing the video. Okay. All right, so now we're on to the Cowboys and the Rams. Yeah. So now we're on to the Cowboys and the Rams and. One of the things that the Cowboys have done uh, with Cooper Rush, they're a very heavy play-action team. Uh, Obviously, they don't want to put the ball in uh, his hands a lot. And so what you see here, uh, this is a sort of a diamond formation, I guess. They've got three guys in the backfield. That's a pretty uncommon look. And again, box counts is what we're talking about. They're trying to force you. Sorry to cut you off. That looks like some old-school student body right, student body left. Let's let's put two fullbacks and let's go. Yeah, yeah, and that's what they're trying to do. This safety is going to come down into the box. They're forcing a very heavy box count, and all they're doing, it's going to be a play-action pass, and they're just going to run a curl on either side. You've got two guys isolated one-on-one. You can't have safety help over the top because you have to worry about the run, and I'm just going to go ahead and I'm going to throw it at the corner that's not Jalen Ramsey, and so at the bottom of the field, you run the 10-yard hitch, balls out. That's an easy throw. That's a game-manager throw. The, the Cowboys with Cooper Rush, they are plus 12% completion percentage, plus 3.2 yards per attempt, and minus 5% turnover-worthy play percentage when using play action. They're going to use play action a lot. But and they're not a strong play action team, you're saying? Or no, no, they're, they're, they're much better out of play action. With play action, he's completing 12% more of his passes oh, okay. for 3.2 more yards per attempt. Uh, and okay. his okay. turnover-worthy play percentage drops by 5%. So they want to utilize play action. If you can get them into third and five, third and six, or more, where play action is kind of off the table, he really struggles as a passer. And so early down success is going to be really important for the Eagles. Get them behind the sticks. I mean, you know how it felt against the Cardinals when all of a sudden you your screen game's not working and you get into a third and eight and you know pressure's coming. You, that sinking feeling because the Eagles were bad against the Blitz. Well, the Cowboys are bad in straight drop back passing with Cooper Rush. So if you can get them into third and medium or long where play action doesn't work, you're at, you're where you want to be. So early down success is going to be huge against the Cowboys. So real quick here, let me just give you an update on that. Um, I don't know how I successfully found this, but I did. Uh, 11 personnel, three receivers, a tight end, a running back. They've run the ball 111 times and they've thrown the ball 128 times. Pretty even there. Uh, 12 personnel with two tight ends. They've run the ball 48 times, and they've thrown it 25 times. So uh, 65, 35 there. And then 13 personnel, three tight ends. They've run the ball 25 times, and they've thrown it six. So there's your answer, Mo Dog. You're like yeah. Stat Boy from PTI. Yeah, hey, yeah, it's me. Right? Thanks for that, buddy. Hey, Shane, yeah, yeah. listen, um, you're making football look really easy right now. I know it's not easy. Don't get me wrong, but that last one we just watched—just don't throw it to Jalen Ramsey, run a play action or whatever, and, and just hit the corner. I know football's not easy, but damn, film is fun when it when it looks easy. 
Yeah, well, and that's so hard because you can you can be 95% sure that that curl route is coming. But with no safety over the top, are you willing to gamble that it's not a curl? Because if you sit on the curl and it's a streak, it's a touchdown. Trevon Diggs is willing to take that risk. That's why he gets a lot of interceptions. That's why he gets burned a lot. The the Rams, I think that was Darian Kennard. He's not willing to take that risk, and so it's just that easy 10-yard completion. All right, so what we got here? Okay, so uh, this time they're in a they're in a condensed set. They've got a bunch formation at the bottom, and they also have a running back on this side. This is something that the Cardinals did a lot to the Eagles. They would put four receiving threats on one side of the field. The reason they do that is it essentially forces you to play man coverage on the backside and push all of your coverage to the receiving strength where there's four guys. It takes a lot of communication from your defensive backs. Notably, the Eagles were starting a backup nickel. Uh, they really struggled with that. The Cardinals moved the ball right down the field when they went four-by-one sets. It opens up running plays to this side, which is something you saw. You remember the play where Darius Slay sort of ran away from the offensive lineman. It turned into a touchdown. Mm-hmm. That was because they motioned into a four-by-one set. The run fits weren't sound. You've got Darius Slay having to take on a left guard. It's not a good situation for anybody. That's on film now on the Eagles. The Cowboys didn't motion into this, but you can bet that they're going to run some four-by-one sets against the Eagles to test that. On this one, the bottom of the play doesn't really matter. All they're going to run, this is to Michael Gallup. They run like this little pivot route, uh, sort of like a zig route. The zig route fakes in and goes out, right, except it's out from, this, out from the boundary. And so this is man coverage. Again, this is Darian Kennard. Throw it away from Jalen Ramsey. We get a one-on-one that's not against Ramsey. We want it. We roll the tape. But if, if Rush makes a better throw here, if he puts this upfield at the 45, this yeah. could be a touchdown. Instant pressure, instant win from the pass rush, forces a throw under pressure, so not the best ball, and he actually ends up dropping it. So this could have been, should have been a big play. If the pass rush holds up, it still could have been a first down, you know, if he just hangs onto the ball, but a little inaccurate. The receiver is unable to bring it in. But again, they're just trying to isolate a guy and give an easy read for, for Rush to hit the top of his drop and get the ball out. He gets the ball out so, so fast. So when you say isolate a guy, the Eagles got to kind of be in a, a good situation with having Darius Slay and James Bradbury on the corners. Or would they more try to isolate on, say, Avante Maddox doesn't play again? Would they try to isolate more on like a nickel corner? They could. It, it's harder to isolate a nickel corner, though, because he's not out at the boundary. He can theoretically have help. Uh, from the inside. Now, one of the way that they, one of the ways they can isolate that is to go into empty sets to spread it out. And you've seen the Eagles do that with Devonte Smith. They like to put him in the slot and, and isolate him on those nickel corners or on linebackers. And so that's something you could see the Cowboys try to do, uh, especially with T.J. Edwards over the middle of the field, who is coming off of a poor coverage game where the Cardinals did the same thing. They continued to put uh, Hollywood Brown or Rondell Moore in the slot spread the field, and now you've got T.J. Edwards playing help in the middle of the field against guys he just can't keep up with. So it is something you could see them try to do. I do think it's really important that Gannon let Bradbury and let Slay go be aggressive in this game. I don't think you want to play off coverage. I'm going to try to make Rush beat me down the field. Makes sense. So in this one, they go empty, like we were just talking about, and they've got a bunch at the bottom of the field. They've got a stack at the top of the field. So Let's look. This is going to be man coverage from the Rams. Uh, at the top, we're just going to run like a vertical route, which is just designed basically to get in the way. 
and we've got a slant coming behind it. So let's roll the tape and just watch the top of the field. This isn't where the ball goes, but understand why this works. We just run the streak to get in the way. The slant's wide open. If that was the read, he's got all kinds of room to throw this ball here. But he's not. He's reading the bottom of the field from the pre-snap. And so at the bottom of the field, the bunch, we're going to run a flat route. We're going to run like a like a curl route. I think it's like a deep curl again. It's just designed to get in the way. And then our bottom guy, he's going to sort of run an in, break in, an in, and then a corner route. And all of this, these two guys are designed just to get in the way of the man defender. And so the way the Rams are going to play this, he's got the inside guy. He's got the outside guy, and he's got the top guy in the stack. A lot of teams will switch this. They'll say, they'll say you take the first guy out, you take the first guy in. The Rams don't do that. They're just playing straight man coverage. And so you see, we run out, we're, we're targeting this. Look at now, this guy has to try to get outside, and he just can't do it. That's an easy, easy throw. And again, immediate pressure because the Cowboys' offensive line is struggling. Just an easy throw to the flat. Cooper Rush has a time to throw a 2.55 seconds on the year, which is fourth fastest in the league. Against the Rams, Aaron Donald, it dropped all the way down to 2.21 seconds. So he gets the ball out lightning fast, especially against good pass rushes. And so I think you're going to see them trying to get the ball out so fast against the Eagles. They're going to have to get up. They're going to have to challenge these receivers on the line of scrimmage and handle those sort of rub routes, those interference routes, better than the Rams did. Shane, let me ask you, that was the last clip right on the reel there um, uh, i do have one more but oh, okay. go ahead no, well, do that and then i got a question for you after that okay so last one here this is another bunch set this time we've got the bunch at the top of the field this is going to be cover three zone from the rams so they're not playing man here and the tight end is going to sort of fake like he's going to block or look to block and release to the flat and then we've got a, a deep in route and then a corner route and you're going to see this corner route it's going to get open. Rush is slow on the throw, I think. Here. I used to so run this in Madden. Used to, yeah, used to run this in Madden. This is a flood concept, right? Yep. yep. We're, yes. Yeah, this is what Jalen Hurts ran so much in 2021. It was flood on repeat because all we could do was throw outside the numbers. So we're watching this safety, and or this corner, excuse me, and his technique's wrong here. He, he's going to open his hips to the sideline. And he's doing that because this guy's also threatening vertical, but this is this safety's guy. So I think he makes a mistake here. As soon as his hips open to the middle of the field, we know that this route is breaking to the sideline. This is going to be open. He now has to spin all the way around, right? If his hips are open to the sideline, he doesn't have to spin. He can drive down on it. So Rush should know right now this is going to be open. He should hit the top of his drop and get the ball out. He gets happy feet. Maybe it's because he's been under pressure so much, but watch. see that little chop of his feet? That makes this ball come out late. He should be throwing the ball right now, but he chops those feet again, then steps to the sideline. Now, the ball's still there. It gets dropped, but that's late. I don't expect the Eagles' corners to to let that happen. If you're late on that throw, they're going to break on it. And so all that to say, when he tries to attack downfield, there's some issues there. He, He struggles a little bit to get the ball out on time, to get it in rhythm. And so that's something you can watch. When he goes to attack downfield, he's not as confident. It's all about those quick throws to the flat. They can try to threaten vertically, but that timing, that rhythm is just not quite there. And I think better corners are going to go make a play on that. All right, Kev, what do you got? So I was just going to say, Shane, they, um, I don't think any of the writers asked Nick Sirianni about this uh, midweek or after the game, but there's a couple short yardage situa- situations in Arizona where they lined up with like a 
a, like a power eye with an extra guy behind him. Looked like a rugby scrum. Almost. Rugby scrum middle. Yeah, yeah, no, it looked like like power eye plus pistol at the same time or something. I don't even know if there's a name for it. It looked like something out of like the Paul Johnson like triple option Georgia Southern days, you know. But they scored, I think, touchdown on the first one, and then they converted, I think, on on all of them. Um, I think they got at least a yard out of it. I mean, what did you make of um, of them using that? Yeah, I always QB sneak. Inches to go, always QB sneak, always go for it on fourth down. When you have a quarterback that can squat 600 pounds behind Jason Kelsey, I like your chances to QB sneak. When you put Dallas Goddard right behind him to push from behind, I just don't know how you stop that. And maybe some defense will figure it out. I don't think it's the Cowboys this week. I don't know I don't know what the solution is, to be honest, but I don't think you can stop it. I think it's going to... No, I'm sorry, Peggy. Just real quick. So, for clarity, though, you can you can push a dude from behind anywhere on the field, right? But the the way the rule is written, you can't you can't like lift him or or pull him. Is that how they have it in the rule book? That's what it is. Yeah, something like that. I, it's yeah, it's okay. kind of one of those things. I wouldn't be surprised. It, it's going to end up being like the illegal man downfield oh, yeah. on RPOs yeah. that nobody called last year. Yeah, because uh, nobody ever thought about it, and it starts getting abused, and so. You know, maybe the rules yep. will come into play a little bit down the road. I yeah. I remember, I remember like the Bush the Bush push with Reggie Bush at USC, which was illegal at the college level and didn't get called. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, you're fine to push the guy from behind, and at it, least for now. Funny. Yeah, it was funny because on the on the touchdown, Dallas Goddard kind of got spinned around, so he's pulling <laughs> he, like, her. Gain- Gainwell's pushing him from behind. It was like a sandwich, and they just kind of yeah. like, it would have been a rough in the passer on Sunday the way they were calling it. Yeah, yeah. How long before we get a roughing the passer call on an offensive player? Yeah, a real yeah exactly. no. I think if if the Eagles win on a last second, uh, like goal line, uh, QB sneak, and it happens again, oh, there is no doubt it is going to the competition committee being like, we got to figure this out because they are kind of you know the wildcat. That's in the past. The rugby scrum middle is the new offensive powerhouse. <laughs> And I forget, I looked it up earlier this week. Hertz had 15 rushes. I think, I can't remember, it was like seven or eight of them were QB sneaks. So, yeah. Just yeah. QB sneak. He's actually number, it's fine. Well, this is one of my favorite stats from the last week. Um, I think he was tied, well, going into week five, he was tied with Joe Mixon for the most red zone rushing attempts. Yeah, he's passed him now. He's number yeah. one in the league yeah, in red zone rushing league. attempts. Yeah, Miles Sanders is top is like top fifteen also. So they're just they're getting it done. Hey, real quick, um, before we let you go, Shane, Dave, do you have that video we can play? Uh, you the, um, the one producer. that I just had up? No, it's, it's a different one up. here. It's a, oh, oh, here okay. Okay, let's 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 watch it. Let's let it play and go from there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So try to take the turn here. Two to oh. oh. Man. Yeah. That is a that is an apt uh, analogy for the OU football season this year. Yeah, Comes out of the tunnel nothing. looking fine. Yep. And then Dicker the so kicker good. takes it to an Oklahoma yeah, alumni. At least Oklahoma. Just tried won. to cut the turn too close here, and then it yeah. went. Well, <laughs> yeah. I, see, I can laugh now because I know everybody was fine. Yeah. Um, yeah. At the yeah, time, I was sitting about the twenty yard line on the side, like that it was turning away from when it flipped over. <laughs> hey Shane, Temple plays Norman in 2024. Is it worth going to the game? Is Norman Tem- fun? Plays in Norman? Yeah, they play in Norman. I mean, I think so. I I haven't been to a lot of other college stadiums, but I feel like OU's OU stadium's always fun. It might not be fun right now, but uh, uh, good barbecue all around the stadium. So yeah, you should go. 
Kev, what did you think of Norman? I loved it, man. We went, and, yeah, it was 2019, and uh, it was the same as the Texas fans. But I mean, just everybody in the Big in Big 12 country was just super polite and, and knowledgeable and, and welcoming. I think you know the thing was too, man, is it was helpful that we were still kind of new in the conference. It hadn't even been 10 years. There wasn't like the existing bullshit toxic like you know relationship with the pit fans or the virginia tech fans where we're throwing bottles at each other or whatever i don't even know these people in oklahoma you know they're all really nice it's like hey welcome to the big 12 like what is going on here this is great yeah we only hate texas everybody yeah. else is good yeah 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 no it was really fun it was really fun we yeah. we went out to notre dame and and they obviously just railroaded us and everyone was like thank you for coming and we were like what are you doing like stop it was very jarring. Yeah, it was very jarring. Yeah, how I remember several years ago, back when the Thunder were really good, they had Durant and Westbrook and all those guys. I remember they were playing Memphis in the first round of the playoffs, and a Memphis like journalist wrote an article about how the Thunder would never win a title because their fans were too polite. Talking about how they came to the game and all the fans wanted to make sure they were having a good time and yeah. telling them yeah. places to go eat afterwards. And yeah. he was right; they would never win a title. Just I don't think it had anything to do with the fans being polite. Yeah, yeah, it was fun though, man. It was good. Yeah, I, I, we were trying to do. Uh, my dad and I were trying to do a different Big Twelve road game every year. We're supposed to go to Texas Tech, and then the pandemic hit, so uh, we. Uh, settled for virginia tech this year and then we couldn't even make it down there so maybe we'll pick it back up soon but yeah norman was great man everybody was 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 really cool out there you know texas as well so trying to get to all of them what do you got pagan anything else oh no did we lose him is he frozen there what's he doing did, can he hear us pagan hello hello Oh, I no, don't think he can. Oh, we lost him all right yeah he's, uh, <laughs> he's... anyway uh shane listen man thanks for coming on um, we appreciate it, and we'll we'll have you back when we'll do this again. All right. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks for having me, guys. Okay. Cool. Cool. Um, so, Pagan, can you still not hear me? He still can't hear me. All right. I'll wrap it up here, but I just want to make a couple points about the Dallas um, Eagles game here. Uh, everybody talks about Dallas's defense, uh, like it's the best defense on the planet. They're good, man. They're really damn good. I mean, I don't think anybody's going to dispute that. Michael Parsons is great. Demarcus Lawrence, they got a lot of a lot of really good guys. Um, I'm back. back. Okay, I'm back. Cool. I'm back. I'm back. I'm back. He's I'm back. back. Listen, I, here's, here's here's the thing I want to point out. All right, everything that the Cowboys are good at statistically, defensively, this year, the Eagles are right there with them. Um, so I just want to read off a couple stats for you. Okay, Dallas Cowboys, eleven plays of twenty plus yards allowed. Right, they don't give up a lot of big plays. They're tied for second. Guess who else is tied for second? Uh, can the I, Eagles. Oh, damn. You got I'm sorry. It. Sorry. I'll try to do better next time. 25 hurries. They're third place. Guess who's in fourth? Kyra's man. The Eagles. That's right. 20 sacks. Uh, the Cowboys are second. Guess who's fourth? Your Philadelphia Eagles. 17 opponents scoring drives. They're sixth. Guess who's third? The Eagles. 14.4 points allowed per game. The Cowboys are third. Guess who's seventh? Jeffrey Lurie's Eagles. 47 quarterback hits. The Cowboys are first. Guess who's seventh? I'm going with the Eagles on that one, too. 33 tackles for loss. They're second. The Eagles are seventh. Seven takeaways. They're tied for 13th. Guess who's number one, Pagan? I'm going to say the Eagles. 311 yards allowed per game. They are seventh. And guess who's fourth? That's got to be the Eagles. So they're right there with the Cowboys statistically and like a lot of meaningful shit. You know, it's 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 the, the defenses are both really good, right? Yeah. It's the, the Dallas offense. You wouldn't think so. Shit. You know? wouldn't think so to a lot of people around Philadelphia. I know that Jonathan Gannon has, has ruffled yeah. a lot of feathers. I mean, when you look yeah. at it, what do they go up? Seven, eight, 17. Yeah. Yeah. 
And listen, I mean, they they didn't look. I mean, their best win is against Minnesota, but they shut down Justin Jefferson. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the Cowboys. You can say. I mean, it depends on what you think about Joe Burrow and Matt Stafford in 2022. You know, to me, there's Super Bowl hangover there. You know, mm-hmm. I can make an argument that the Cowboys' best win is on the road against a four and one Giants team. True, you know? and that um, and, and I, you said in your article that set football backwards. <laughs> Yeah, I mean the game. common opponent. Yeah, dude, listen, like the common opponent is Carson, right? And the mm-hmm. and the Commanders, and they both beat them almost by the same score. Uh, yeah. Cowboys beat them at home. The Eagles beat them on the road. Um, you know, it, Kirk Kirk Cousins and Kyler Murray, um, you know, are the best two quarterbacks. The Eagles have played the best quarterbacks that the Cowboys have played are Joe Burrow and Matt Stafford in the Super Bowl hangover. So, yeah, you know, there's some subjectivity there. I think the Cowboys have had a tougher schedule um, and have been challenged a little bit more, but. I, I don't. I don't think that like the the Cowboys defense is that far ahead of the Eagles defense, to be honest. You know. Yeah, and after Shane just came on and gave us that tape, and we did our best to make tape great again. I hope everyone liked that segment. Uh, if you're listening on the podcast, you can watch that on the video as well. We'll link out to it. But it seems like as long as they get pressure on the front four, and it seems like the cornerbacks are you know don't get beat deep, but they're they're aggressive. It seems like they're matching yeah. up well. I mean, obviously yeah. on the other side, you could say, hey, they might gash the Eagles. If it was like last week for 150 yards between Zeke and uh, and Tony Pollard, but I think it'll be low scoring, man. But I think like Jalen's legs might be the difference. Like maybe both of the offenses trying to figure it out and trying yeah. to trying to make something work, and then maybe there's a busted play. And what was Jaylen your prediction? 17 13. 17 13 Eagles is what. Yeah, that's gonna be an ugly, ugly, boring Sunday night yeah. football game. But a win is a win is a win. Kev, before we go, Flyers tonight. Anything on them? Ah. Get excited, yeah. yeah. Tank, uh, hey, how do you how do you look at the Calgary Flames, who are going to be a playoff team, who just lost Johnny Gaudreau, who just lost Matthew Kachuk, but they've also filled it with Nazim Kadri and some other guys, and they're actually going to be a playoff team. And now they're put now they're giving their fans on opening night against the Avalanche. No. They're a playoff team. They're not going to have a hard time selling any tickets. They're still giving their fans the first five thousand that come into the arena eighteen or plus because the drinking age is different in, yeah. in Canada, which I just found out. Mm-hmm. Free beer, free beer for the first five thousand fans, yeah, and true. we're watching Nick Delorier on the yeah. first or third line, and we're paying full price for beers. That's well, just this is, uh, yeah. Th- I mean, well, Calgary is where it's at, man. I gotta get up there to the Saddle Dome, or uh, you know, as Barry Melrose would say, Calgary, Calgary, Calgary. Right. Um, this is through the th- these are the Flyers lines in morning <sighs> skate, right? Um, Scott Lawton. Uh, Kevin Hayes and Travis Konechny. It was your top line. Wow. JVR Frost. JVR Frost Allison. Faraby Cates Tippett. Delorier Lazinski and Hodgson. I don't even know who the fuck Hodgson is. Uh, Here's your your defensive pairings. Provi and D'Angelo. Sanheim and Braun. uh, Sealer and Zamula and uh, Atard uh, rotating in. uh, And you know what? They're going to win three nothing. That's what's going to happen because exactly they right. just went exactly. through the preseason yeah. from hell and yeah. they're all ready and nobody yeah. else is going to be ready. Yeah, listen, man, this is the this is the worst uh, lineup that they've put out on the ice on opening night since 06, 07. And even then, I mean, you could argue that that lineup was, was better. They just didn't have a good season. Um, but, I mean, you've got no – uh, no Risto, no Coots, no Cam Atkinson, no Ryan Ellis, no Bobby Brown. I haven't even played the first game yet. I've, and that so. dude they just sent down that everyone was angry about. I forget who it was Cam York. off the top of my head. Cam, Cam York, York. Yeah. yeah. I mean, here's the thing. I, 
John Tor- Torch was on a on the podcast. I just saw the clip from John Clark, and it was like we yeah. can't do anything gimmicky. We have to put our heads down, and we have to we have to fight and win to get into the uh, to get fans back into the arena, yeah. which I disagree a hundred percent with. I mean, you tell me that fa- that the first five thousand fans that come into the stadium can launch Chuck Fletcher out of a cannonball. I think he was sellout right there. Torrance is Torrance is gonna absolutely kill somebody. This he's gonna like have it out with with Charlie O'Connor like three. That is, I didn't think about that. We are gonna get some good ones because Doc, you know, Doc was winning and everything, and then when times were tough, he would come after. You know, you other reporters sometimes when you guys would suggest things that you know he thought were wrong at the time that he ended up doing and stuff. Listen, man, four four of the five teams are really good and the fifth one's going to be shitty, but the coach is going to give us like plenty yeah. of content. It's like a yes. golden age for crossing broad, man. You could we could just throw anything up on the website. It's going to work right now. So let's uh enjoy it while it's while it's happening, you know? How many over under 10 games is he fighting with with somebody? Torts. Under. Uh, under. Yeah, under. I mean even today he's <laughs> They asked him what Risto's injury was, and he said, we're not going to do upper or lower. We're only going to say it's a body injury. So he's seems to be already annoyed. You know, I so got Carchidi. I got Carchidi at minus 110. Charlie O'Connor coming in, I think, is a nice juicy yeah. plus 150. Yeah. I know there's an Olivia woman who just got hired. I'm going to put her at plus 250. Okay. Uh, and Filippo <laughs> yeah. uh, off the board. That guy doesn't want to ruffle any feathers. No, and if uh, we'll we'll take Russ off the board too because he's kind of like me. I don't even know if he goes well, down. You, games yeah, you got to go down there to to, yeah. to be on the board. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think I'm going down to the Sixers days are are over. So yeah, it's, <laughs> we're we're retiring, you know. But uh, go Flyers, orange and black. Tank hard for Connor Bedard. You know, no way. Hey, That's a good point though. We'll leave it with this one. Uh, Philly fan, uh, no chance the NHL gives the Flyers the number one pick. <laughs> <laughs> a generational star available. The Flyers get the second pick, you know. So it'll it'll be it'll be awesome. I mean, I hope Chuck Fletcher, if if he makes it to Thanksgiving, I'd be shocked. If he makes it to Christmas, I'd be shocked. He's you, like you just said, you have a generational talent. It's like the Victor Wembignana in uh in the NBA, <laughs> yeah. and you see Sam yeah. Presti's already breaking uh, Chet Holmgren's ankle. Yeah. yeah, I mean, Chet Holmgren could probably come back by, you know, maybe maybe May, yeah. maybe April or March. But he's like, yeah. absolutely not. Sit your ass on the bench. We've got Victor Wembenyama coming next week. I mean, that's Sam right. Presti has just been. And now Chuck puts together a team that's actually going to compete with a coach who's actually going to want them to compete. And we're going to lose out on a generational talent. And that's the Philadelphia Flyers. Uh, we'll probably get the third pick. And the first two will probably be potential Hall of Famers. And we'll get a guy who's great. Uh, for about five seasons, he'll be good for about the next five after that, and then we'll we'll send him when uh, when they're in a, in a new rebuild for Owen Tippett. Yeah, it could be like a uh, you know a John Wall, Evan Turner thing going on here, or something you know. But uh, you know, yeah. all right, Who knows? Well, go go Flyers, go Flyers, go, go Phils, go Birds, yeah, go, go Bird. Sixers. Big preseason win, four and zero. Hang the banner. Um, that is Crossing Broadcast for today. I am your host, Kyle Pagan. Thank you to Bob Wankel. Thank you to Kevin Kincaid for coming on. And thank you to Shane Half from TPL and Bleeding Green Nation for coming on. I hope we made tape great again. I hope we made tape fun again. I hope you learned something today. Hit that subscribe. Uh, hit that thumbs up if you're watching on the video. And we will talk to you Tuesday when the birds are 6-0 and the fills are in the NLCS. 